Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Constant Writers. My name is Dave Musson, I'm at Dave Musson on Instagram and this is the podcast where I introduce you to an indie horror author who may end up being your next favourite writer. And in the show, I talk to that author, find out a bit more about them, about their work, about their relationship with writing, all of that kind of things, and then we geek out on Stephen King. We talk about Stephen King's influence and my guest will pick one Stephen King book to go in in a little more depth and really just grill a bit further before we wrap up with the 19-question Stephen King challenge. It's a great podcast, even if I do say so myself, and if you've not been here before, once you've done with this episode, do go back through the feed and check out all the others because there's some amazing guests for you to discover. And some other things you can do in the description to this episode, you'll not only find links to the author that we're going to meet and get to know a bit better in this episode, but you also find some things from me that you can support. So links to my fiction, links to my Stephen King quiz book, links to my newsletter, all of those kind of things. Any support, much appreciated. However, I am not the focus of this episode. This time, I get to introduce you to my second favourite horror author from May. It's Michael R. Michael is a great human, really good guy to follow on social media, and terrific author as well author of so many fantastic short stories and singles and one of my favorite short story collections ever how good it feels to burn which if you do nothing else off the back of this episode you should check this book out and look at the nice pocket-sized paperback version seriously he is well worth checking out he's also very well known for his smolder novel which we talk about in this interview and well what else do we talk about we talk about what it's like being a horror writer from maine in a world where stephen king exists yeah pretty big deal with that and then, once we're done with Stephen King, we talk about Bag of Bones, Michael's book of choice. A slightly interesting one, so stick around, make sure you hear what Michael has to say about that. And then we wrap up with the 19 question quickfire challenge. It's a terrific interview, as all of these are turning out to be. So um, sit back and, yeah, come along and meet Michael R. Goodwin. Michael, my second favourite horror author from Maine. Um, welcome to Constant Writers. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm really, I'm really well, thank you, and really pleased that we can get this chat going. Like, like with some of the ones we've had from this season, it's been a while in the uh, in the organising, but we've got there in the end. So, really, really excited to to get chatting with you. And and obviously, we'll we'll talk about Stephen King later on in this chat. But as I've been trying to do with all of these interviews, I want to make the focus at the start all about you. Um, so let's start with the same question I've been asking everyone. Like, what's what's your origin story with all things literature? Like, when did you fall in love with writing? And also, when did you fall in love with reading, I guess? Well, reading came first. Uh, I was always a big reader as a kid. Um, and I wasn't a very social child. Didn't have a lot of friends. You know, just more of an introvert, I suppose. So books were a go-to thing. And, um, you know, writing, I guess was inspired by that. Uh, I was in seventh grade when I wrote my first um, first piece of fiction. It was Star Wars fan fiction, uh, very embarrassing stuff uh, if I were to look back on it now. Uh, but I was very excited about it. Uh, I wrote it for extra credit in school and um, you know it was a lot of fun being able to create something and that just stuck with me. And that's like the most natural place to start with writing as well, isn't it? It's like imitating what you're reading, what you're consuming already. That's that's how you learn the chops. So yeah, it's a, it's a perfectly natural thing to do. So yeah, and in, in terms of like taking it from doing Star Wars fiction for extra credit in seventh grade to thinking about writing a bit more seriously, like when did that start working through your brain? I guess, what, what, was there anything that made you realize you could actually do this and anything that maybe prompted you to, to I, I don't know, fin finally hit publish on your stuff? Sure. Um, I didn't really do a whole lot of writing in between seventh grade and adulthood. You know, I just kind of picked at it here or there. Uh, in the early 2000s, I started writing in a blog, um, you know, when blogs were first taken off. It was anonymous and I was just writing down a whole bunch of different things. And I had, you know, I, I grew a following of readers and they were really encouraging and supportive and um, kind of pushed me to write more and take different risks with writing. And, um, you know, I had started reading 
you know, some horror novels and I decided that I wanted to try to write, you know, something scary, something spooky or whatever. And it just kind of stuck with me. Um, you know, my first serious attempt at writing a, you know, a long form book, um, was part of the NaNoWriMo you know, National Novel Writing Month, yep. uh, back in 2009. You know, I, I succeeded. I wrote the 50,000 words. Uh, nice. It was the first half of what would become The Liberty Key, my okay. first novel. Um, and then it just kind of sat there for a while. I didn't really do anything with it um, for almost 10 years, unfortunately. Uh, but along the way, I wrote, you know, some shorter stories. And um, it was easier to write shorter stories and get feedback on those and get a little bit more confidence to publish those um so yeah it was kind of a a long process um but you know i got here eventually and a slight, slightly off topic question but something i've always been interested in you, you mentioned doing nanowrimo mm-hmm. um which if i remember correctly is that that's november is the the designated month to do it is that is that right correct how, how did you find that as an experience because it's something that i've always looked at and and considered doing and have never never jumped in on it yet but like was it yeah well how, how was it as an experience was it was it was it a useful challenge a useful prompt to to keep you at it for the for those 30 days it was uh, i had never done anything like that before i had, you know it's about 1600 1700 words a day that you need to produce to stay on track and i don't think i had written more than a couple hundred words in a day prior to that so this was a big uh a big goal to try to meet um you know you're not supposed to have anything more than an outline of the story before you get into it um and you know that's that's all i had was just a few scribbled out ideas on a piece of paper and um some days it was very difficult uh other days you know i exceeded the word goal and then some you know you just get into a zone and you keep going and uh, I think I wound up finishing a few days early, uh, nice. and it, and you know it was a huge sense of accomplishment. I'm like, wow, if I can, if I can do this in just 30 days, if I can have 50,000 words in a month, you know, what if I kept going and tried, you know, a thousand words a day or 500 words a day, you know, it was it made the process of writing a book feel possible. Hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I should, maybe I should actually give it a go this year. Maybe I should, but I have to have, to have words for my children, make sure that they uh, they get to bed on time and stay asleep, and then I can actually do it. But um, no, inter- interesting. It, like I say, it's it's always it's always appealed, but never quite to the point where I've finally jumped in. Um, anyway, you were mentioning short stories, um, which is great because that's how I first came across you. Like this this excellent short story collection, how good it feels to burn, which is just so good anyone watching or listening to this who hasn't checked it out really should go and check it out and you know people people won't have to look very far to find your shorter works you're you're pretty prolific in terms of putting shorter works out there i get the sense that's a format that you you quite enjoy writing is that fair oh absolutely uh there's you know a different kind of magic to a short story you know whether you are writing it for uh, an anthology call or writing it just for yourself or a quick idea that you had, you know, there's a, you have to convey everything the story wants to tell the reader in a short period of time. So you have to be careful with the words you use, how much you say about certain things, you know, you really just have to get cut right down to the bone and, and get to what really matters. And that also allows me to choose what the reader knows about the characters or the setting. Uh, mm-hmm. And I like to let the reader fill in a lot of the details on their own. You know, I don't really care what the character looks like, you know, let the reader figure that out. Yeah. Um, I just want to give them just enough to start to visualize what's going on and they can figure out the rest. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge, um, but I do enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. I mean that that certainly comes across from your from all the the stuff you have out there. 
And I guess another one that your people who may have come across your name are likely to have either seen that collection or probably the novella Smolder, which um, I've got on my Kindle, hence not holding it up because it doesn't really work when holding up in front of the webcam. But yeah. I remember that one being being dark and, and kind of messed up in all of the best ways. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm curious, where, where did the inspiration for that one come from? Um, it was kind of twofold, actually. Uh, I had gone for a walk with my wife in the woods behind our house um and we came upon this clearing you know it was just really random just this wide opening of just grass and uh it was a beautiful spot in the woods uh, and that apparently stuck with me because that night i had a a nightmare about being lost in the woods and coming upon this clearing and there was this group of trees in the middle of the clearing and then you know the trees came out of the ground and they weren't trees after all. And I can't say too much more because then I'll spoil part of the book. But yeah, um, I told my, my wife and kid about uh, the dream and they were like, yeah, you need to write that down. So that was all I had for reference uh, for writing the story. I knew I needed to get my character to that scene. How do I do that? And, you know, just kind of came to be. And that, that's one of the great things about writing stories, isn't it? You quite, it, more often than not, at least I certainly find it, it will be like that. It will be an image or a scene, a moment that you know you want to get to or you know is going to be the launch pad for something. You don't necessarily have the full thing in your head, but when it's something as powerful like that, you can then just let your imagination build off it, can't you? So look, was it was it an easy process to get to where you wanted to do with Smolder once you, once you had that initial nightmare transcribed like did it all come together fairly fairly easily uh it it did i mean the ending was a bit of a challenge i wasn't really sure where to go with that but i'm happy with how it how that part came out mm -hmm. um but for all the effort of writing the story you know that the inspiration for it is really just a small part of yeah. everything else that goes on and there's so much more that came out of it that is a, is much more meaningful to me um you know, there's some ways that I relate to the main character uh, as far as, you know, his struggle with anger and frustration in his life. Um, so it was a bit of a cathartic experience writing it. And that wasn't the plan at all when I set out to write it. Hmm. But, you know, there are some really powerful scenes in there that just happened, you know, that just as I was writing it, you know, these ideas came out and like the deer scene in the first half of the story mm -hmm. uh, is a very um, vivid scene. And I had so much fun with that particular part, even though it's, it's a scene that sometimes turns readers off from wanting to go any further. Yeah. My poor grandmother thought she wanted to read the book and <laughs> had to stop when she got to that scene. So... Well, at least she started. At least she started. Yeah. You know, still got that support there. Um, I love also just how you keep, you refer to them as singles. So like short stories as a standalone release rather than trying to gather them up into collections and things. And, um, you know, I love looking through your singles collections. And, and what's nice in there is that you, you, I'm starting to, to pick up on a thread of some folk horror stories. So there's the Halloween one, Crimson Grove, and there's the, the Christmas one that I have here, The Ritual. Um, that I both yeah. enjoyed really well. Like, is folk horror something you'd like to explore more of as you continue to write? Absolutely. Um, the that village that you know connects those two stories together. Um, you know that kind of there's a story called Leaves that is in How Good It Feels to Burn. Mm -hmm. um, that was the first story about the village and that was my first attempt at trying to write folk horror and it was for an anthology call they got turned down um but i w was in love with the story so um i decided to try to keep going but with a different segment and that's where um the ritual in crimson grove came out of like got them both right here nice. yeah um it's a it's a different sort of challenge to write folk horror because you know some of the vocabulary you use has to be different um you know the style that you use to approach describing things and, and all of that you know should be different to kind of create that uh 
environment, you know, without explicitly telling the, the reader, you know, you have to give them that feel by the words you use and how you put them together. Um, it's definitely something I enjoy and I have some other smaller projects in the works maybe for this year, um, possibly a sequel to the ritual, Nice, uh, but time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many t stories and so little time to write them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, another one of your singles that, um, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much enjoyed everything I've read of yours. Um, but certainly one that I remember, um, getting a lot of praise online was broken justice, which is a, a really powerful story with a powerful message and for a great cause as well. Like, I, I don't want to put, I don't really want to put my words in here. So I was wondering, could you just like tell people watching and listening a bit more about that one in particular? And again, like where the inspiration for it came from? Sure. Uh, yeah. Writing that story uh, as a male felt like a big risk uh, because it's about a subject that uh, is very triggering for a lot of people. Um, you know, it deals with the themes of sexual assault and, you know, there are people that I'm very close to who have, you know, had to go through that, unfortunately. And the impact of them being unable to get justice for their situation for, you know, whatever sequence of events, you know, the justice system doesn't always work well for the survivor. Hmm. Um, and that can take its toll. And I wanted to write a story about, you know, people taking matters into their own hands. Um, and the proceeds for that story, when I released it, um, I donated to uh, a nonprofit charity here in the U.S. Uh, that it provides resources and uh, support for survivors. And, you know, that it was important for me to communicate that this wasn't... Uh, you know, I'm not trying to celebrate the assault or the abuse that occurs. You know, I want to try to empower the people who have endured that. Not that I condone violence in real life, uh, but I can assume or imagine at least that there are the people who have been unable to get justice, you know, often think about what would I do if I decided to take matters into my own hands. So mm -hmm. this was, you know, hopefully a, a way for, you know, for those individuals to have some sort of cathartic experience through reading the book. And uh, one of the readers actually reached out to me and uh, said that they were going to use it as um, support material in their counseling classes that they were doing with, um, with survivors. So uh, that was, that was awesome to yeah. be able to to help in that way. Um, yeah, that's, that's incredibly powerful, incredibly rewarding for you as well. Um, I'm conscious that for people watching and listening, uh, we're sort of mentioning titles left, right, and center here. Should say everything that we talk about here will be linked to in the description for this episode, so people can go and check these out and then pick them up if they haven't done so already. I'm just saying that because I'm about to throw another title in here. Um, <laughs> you're you're something of an indie horror curator as well as a, a contributor to the scene um you, know, you you put together the quite brilliant devil's rejects anthology um again Thank i'd you. love you i'd love you just to go through what the pictures of that one and what it was like to pull together because i think i think this one particularly for any writers listening i think this one will definitely have appeal if they haven't heard of it already yeah um devil's rejects uh it's a horror anthology for second chances is the the billing on the cover there uh, you know, as writers, we all experience rejection. Uh, it can be frustrating uh, and an emotional thing to go through when you send a story out and it gets turned down. You know, you may not always understand why it was turned down, but it's part of the process. You know, the pain of of getting rejected is is a very real thing, and I went through a lot of that as I was writing stories that wound up in how good it feels to burn actually all but two of the stories in that were stories that had been rejected so i decided just to put it together on my own and i was like well 
why don't we try to do that with an anthology? I had never heard of that being done before. And, um, you know, for the writers involved, I know that they s- supplied stories that were important to them, you know, that they had fallen in love with and they really wanted to give it that second chance. So it was uh, a very rewarding process for me to be able to read these stories. And, you know, unfortunately, I couldn't accept all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, it was a lot of work uh, and a lot of fun. And, you know, it's definitely something I'm, I'm proud of. Yeah. And you should be like, it was, a, it, it, it sort of proves everything you were just talking about. Cause I, I, I mean, I, I, I submitted to that one and uh, didn't make the cut, but like just thoroughly enjoyed reading it. And yeah, it was just, it was just really great to see, like, look at how good this anthology is. And these were all rejected elsewhere. It, it was a weird confidence boost, even for someone who had had something rejected for that anthology, if it makes sense. Um, so yeah, just a really great showcase of talent and and a, and a bit of a confidence boost as well. I mean, I guess I, I imagine like you probably had enough submissions for a volume two, right? I mean, how, how inception do you go on this? Like rejections from devil's rejects volume one become volume two volume three are the rejects from like like i mean i guess you probably don't have enough time to do this but like have you got enough for for a volume two if you wanted to oh yeah there was definitely enough submissions that i you know i could do a volume two and you know using stories that um were previously submitted you know definitely would kind of fit with the theme hmm. um but it's all just a matter of time and yeah. Uh, you know, I like to be able to give something back to the authors. Um, so being able to fund, you know, mm-hmm. the, the payment to the authors and all of the, the costs associated with producing a book, um, you know, all that comes out of pocket and, you know, us independent authors, we don't make a lot from our books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, the cost of it is a factor, time is a factor, but uh, it's definitely something I've been thinking about more and more. So right. again, time will tell. Yeah, yeah. And just lastly, before we we switch our focus onto onto King, um, something I particularly wanted to ask you about. Now, I remember a while ago, and it's really nice talking to you on Zoom because I can I can see it over your shoulders in in as close to real life as we'll get um, right now. But I remember seeing on your Instagram a few times how you've got that gallery of your front covers hanging on your wall. Um, and like I say, seeing it now is really cool. And uh, that just gave me a real sense of your own pride in your own work, which I found really heartwarming. And it, it's something that has come up on this podcast a few times, actually, is how many people I've spoken to who are, we've all ended up in the same the same scenario where we're all really quick and really happy to champion our friends and our peers in the scene. But we're also quite awkward about bigging ourselves up. I was curious, like how important do you think it is for indie authors to have that confidence and, and pride in, in what they do and, and how difficult is it to find that? Oh, that's a great question. Um, confidence in oneself is a huge thing that we, we all need to have, whether you're an author, an artist, you know, any sort of creative person, you know, you are the only one who's going to be the best promoter of your work because you know all of the blood, sweat, and tears that went into creating it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, having these up on my wall, you know, as a reminder of what I've accomplished so far. And there are blank spaces left on the wall intentionally, you know, to allow for future accomplishments. You know, I want to fill the wall with other covers so I can, you know, just further remind myself on those days where I'm feeling really beaten down, you know, this is what I've already done, you know, what's next. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's good to support others and to kind of have that support network. Uh, that's a valuable thing to have, um, you know, to, to have those people that are willing to, you know, help you out and, you know, share the word on your projects. Uh, so that's, that's valuable too, but, um, I know I deal with uh, feeling like I'm talking about my own books too much on my social media, you know, Mm -hmm. that I'm annoying people by saying, you know, hey, buy my books, buy my books. But really, uh, 
unless you're investing heavily in marketing and advertising, how else are people going to know? Yeah. Uh, so it's just, you know, allowing yourself to be, um, you know, the biggest voice for yourself. Yeah. And that's it. As an indie author, you're not just writing the stories. You're often designing the covers, you're doing the marketing, you're being your own yeah. fan club, you're running your social media, you're doing newsletters, everything like that. So yeah, it's, um, like I said, I, I really like it as a, as a, as a, as a tangible thing to have on your wall and to, uh, as that source of inspiration, it's, um, it's a really cool idea. So, uh, and and thanks for sharing it as well. It's, it's really nice to see that people taking pride in what they do. Yeah. So thank you. We, this is a Stephen King channel. So let's, let's switch our focus to him. That is, that is the reason I bring all of these, all of these wonderful indie authors together on this podcast. Um, I guess to start with, and specifically for you ignoring your your home state for a moment but what does stephen king mean to you as a fan and what sort of place does he hold in your heart well i mean, it's it's hard to ignore his impact on the genre that i write it uh so it's gone beyond just being a fan to him having an impact on popular culture mm-hmm. and he's done so for decades so i mean that's an admirable thing and, um, you know, as much as I had read prior to reading my first Stephen King book, you know, the action of reading a Stephen King book really made me realize that this is where I belonged as a reader and as a writer. So, you know, I, I owe that to him. And what sort of impact would you say King's had on your own writing, um, if any? Oh, a, a big impact. Um, you know, the way that he approaches, uh, you know, the way that he describes things and the way that he blends the stories together with a cast of characters, um, you know, it really was quite different from anything I had read up to that point. Uh, and just, I don't know, it's, it's it's hard to describe. Uh, I'm feeling to find the words for it, but he's I don't know. I think he's an author that a lot of us horror authors aspire to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, without trying to just imitate him altogether. You know, we all want that success. Uh, so trying to find a way to hold a candle to the great, I guess, is what keeps me going. Yeah, yeah, and. I mentioned your shared home state. So like King, you are, you are a Mainer. Um, I'm curious, like tell, tell this non Mainer exactly what Stephen King means to your home state. Yeah. It's really, really awesome to be able to read a book and for him to mention a place you've been to hmm. or a part of the state that you lived in. Uh, and to know that when he's writing about the town that the mist was based on uh, that town was 10 minutes down the road from where I lived mm. at a, at one point in time. And the grocery store that they were stuck in was a grocery store. I went to, um, you know, it's, it makes the story more real. It's not just relying on imagination and trying to put yourself in the story. You can actually connect and realize that, you know, exactly what he's talking about and where he's talking about. Um, and he brings, you know, some of the cultural stuff of, of Maine, you know, the, the accents and, uh, the livelihoods that people have and the way that people behave, uh, you know, it's, it brings this little, well, it, it brings all the weirdness of Maine out into the public eye and, you know, it, it's just makes it feel, um, celebrated instead of oh you know what is there to do in maine you you know oh we've just got clowns in our sewers and you know (laughs) that's fine (laughs) and like i guess it brings a bit of tourism with it as well right because i know there's like the stephen king tours and things like it's 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 gonna have a knock-on effect and i remember he was very adamant with the pet cemetery original movie that that had to be filmed in maine didn't he and he wanted they wanted locals involved in extras and stuff like that he he still very much feels like part of the state. He's not just not just someone who uses it for 
for whatever purposes in his story and has not not been back in years but um i was curious right. also i was also curious like for you as a as a horror writer from maine like how does that sit for you in terms of like pressure does that does the existence of of stephen king also being a horror writer from maine does that put pressure on you to be really good or does it take pressure off because he's just so huge well you know as much as i just said you know i i try to uh, aspire to have a career like stephen king has i also realized that i can't try to be him you know and i i shouldn't compare myself to him you know i shouldn't i should just try to be authentic to my own writing and the things that i want to write about i mean he's definitely a, a source of inspiration but um all i'm trying to do is create the world that my characters live in and i have some references on how to do that you know by reading the many many books that he's written that are based in the state of maine mm. so it's it kind of is a roadmap of sorts of you know how to build this world and how to have a bunch of stories that are connected together by places and characters which he is superb at doing uh, I actively try to do that. So people who've read, you know, different pieces of mine will be able to realize I remember that character from that other story, even if it was just a, a passing line, you know, it's, it's still something that I think is really neat for King's work and, uh, something that I actively try to do. Yeah. Have you, have you kept up to date with, with King and his recent work and like, do, do you have a particular sweet spot or period of his writing that you especially enjoy i have kept current uh i'm reading fairy tale right now um trying to get that one done before his next one comes out this fall mm -hmm. uh, as far as you know a period of time you know there's the early king you know the first five that you know really set the stage for his career i mean those are just incredible books uh and you know there is his 80s 90s period of time where he was dealing with some addiction stuff and you know mm -hmm. the tommy knockers is a pretty weird and out there novel that a lot of people don't like but that was the first king book i ever read so oh, wow. it has a yeah. it has a special you know place in my my reader's heart um you know i don't know as if i could pick a period of time for king that I enjoy more because it's, there's something you can get out of each period, you know, as his yeah. voice and style has evolved, you know, if you know what was going on in his life at the time, whether it was first starting out or, you know, this massive fame, uh, his period of rehab, you know, his car accident, you know, mm -hmm. rehabilitating from the car accident, you know, it's a journey in and of itself and uh, it's something that can be admired uh even despite the struggle yeah yeah great great okay well i think i think it's time to jump into your king book of choice for this chat which um which is bag of bones but before we go in on that a bit more deeply i'm, I'm always curious uh, were there any any others that you were considering that maybe you want to give an honorable mention to before we get onto bag of bones uh needful things was something i was um thinking about as well that was the second king book i ever read and it just okay. blew me away mm -hmm. um you know there's a huge cast of characters in that book and the way that he just gave you all these little threads to hold on to the entire time you're reading and it just all ties together it was yeah. a very impressive um and <clears throat> it was something that only the stand has rivaled in my mind as far as his ability to to tie everything together mm. uh, but yeah okay but bag of, Mo bag of bones was the one that made the cut so let's talk about that here's, here's here's my particular edition that i'm holding up for illustrative purposes here but this is king's yeah. 1998 so literary gothic incredibly horny ghost story set up in the main woods by a big lake like i don't think i was surprised to see you pick one of the main stories but perhaps was a little um a little surprised that you landed on this one mainly because this is often a book that appears on lists of people's least favorite king works i mean not mine this is a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine but i am curious why bag of bones 
Uh, it's a bit of an underdog, as you just said. Uh, a lot of people don't like it, but uh, I mean, it may not be one of his best as far as you know widespread receiving of his audience. But uh, it's one of the few books that he's written that genuinely scared me. Uh, hmm. You know, it's been a while since I've read it, so uh, I may not remember all the nuances, but uh, I do remember that it made an impact uh, because it legit scared me. Uh, hmm. So. For that, I figured I should, you know, allow it some time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, from my point of view, like pushing aside all the 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 horniness, which does get a lot of attention. Uh, for me, like there was something about just how much of a ghost story this is that made it stand out for a King book. Like, how how did you enjoy him going gothic in this one? I, it was a nice change of pace. Uh, you know, I am a fan of modern gothic horror. Um, my friend Jamie Stewart. Uh, did a great job of uh, modern gothic style with his Price Manor, um, The House That Bleeds book. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he did a great job honoring, you know, that gothic style in this book. And I think we've, we've when we talk in Bag of Bones, we've, we've got to talk about Mike Noonan, one of King's many, many writer lead characters. And one that I, th I think he has said is perhaps most like him. Um, interesting character like what what did you make of of mike noonan he seemed like he was just a, a good guy you know trying to get on with his life following you know the death of his wife and he was just trying to do the right thing not because he was in the public eye but because he felt it was you know the only thing that should occur to one to do is to do the right thing um and mm -hmm. I'd like to think that's the kind of guy that Stephen King is too. Mm. I don't know something with, with Mike Noonan's character is obviously he, he, he suffers those years of writer's block, but he keeps churning out novels just by taking stuff that he already had in the trunk. And it, it, both times I've read this book, it's made me think like that when we get to that sad point, when King is no longer with us, I, I wonder quite how many novels we're still going to get from him because he's in the trunk. Like, did, did, did you get any sense of that? Did, did it give you, did it feel like you were getting a, a peek into King's mind as much as the character of Mike? Oh uh, yeah. Um, maybe not so much with this book as I did with, uh, Lisey's story. Mm. Uh, yeah. but, um, yeah, you, you kind of get a glimpse of the, what if, mind of Stephen King and in terms of Mike Noonan's character with that uh, character with, with his relationship with um with Matty DeVore um again an interesting an interesting one mainly because of the age gap and I guess the the socioeconomic background gap as well like how do you think this relationship has, has aged in the 20 plus years since this book came out yeah that's a, a difficult question I mean I didn't I don't remember finding their relationship too surprising when I was reading the book, you know, within the confines of the story. Uh, I don't remember Mike Noonan, um, you know, I think actively pursuing. I think it was more the other way around. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I struggle with the, this hasn't aged well concept um, overall, you know, whether it's a book or a TV show, you know, we all kind of live in the time that we're in and, the cultural things right wrong or indifferent you know make their way into the things that we create um so i mean if he were to write that book now would he you know do things differently possibly mm -hmm. um but it also felt real enough for the book and genuine enough for the book that uh didn't stand out to me mm -hmm. no fair enough fair enough i think for me something i i find often gets like overlooked or, or forgotten with bag of bones is is quite how compelling a villain max devore is and quite how terrifying an old man in a wheelchair who needs oxygen all the time can be like where where would you place max devore if you were trying to rank king villains like especially human villains like where where does max devore sit is he towards the top of the table for you or but how does how does he rank i <clears throat> i'd probably put him somewhere between Percy Wetmore from the Green Mile and Big Jim Rennie from Under the Dome. You know, he's not the the worst, um, but he definitely uh, is a very unique character. You know, the the old man in the with the, with the oxygen masks reminded me of that story from um, 
or when I read the collection, uh, if it bleeds, mm-hmm. um, Mr. Harrigan, Mr. Harrigan's phone. Yes. Sorry. The second I, I started reading that and picturing that I, I thought of, of Max DeVore and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the contrast of the two characters, you know, this old man in that story is, you know, just a misunderstood guy with a lot of money and he tries to do some good. Um, and yeah, it was kind of a contrast there. Perhaps Max DeVore and Mr. Harrigan are twinners. Who, who knows? Maybe. Yeah. And I guess the, the other character who stands out on, um, on Bag of Bones is, is Sarah Tidwell, like her character and her story arc as well. Like how, how did that part of the story work for you? Um, I think it was effective as a subplot to the book. Uh, and I remember some of the sequences being a little hard to follow, but uh, it was it was effective overall. Um, again, I don't remember not liking you know that part of the story, but I also don't think I appreciated it as much as I would now if I were to, to read it again. You know, just the the more you know, and as life goes on uh, with Sarah Tidwell's character and the things that she experienced um that are revealed through the course of the book i think i would it would have a lot more impact now as a reader i'm actually really keen to do the audiobook for this because as far as i can remember they they actually recorded some sarah tidwell music and and songs and stuff and interspersed them into the audiobook which i think would be really cool um because you get a sense of that musicality in the book okay so like as as we as we wind towards the end of the bag of bones discussion, like just just take me through. Are there any particular scenes, moments, side characters, anything like that that really stand out for you? I mean, you, you mentioned this is this is something. This is a book that that really did scare you. So, like, w- were there any scenes in particular that um, that got under your skin? Yeah, um, the basement scene really freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was living in a house on a lake uh, at the time that I was reading the book and. I don't know, I, I, like I said earlier, I could just really put myself into the setting that he was in because, I mean, I literally was, you know, a 30 second walk from the water and, you know, it was just that more, that much more impactful. Um, and one of the few moments where I was so immersed into the setting, when I read that scene, I had to put the book down and, and walk away, you know, turn on all the lights of the house because <laughs> it, it freaked me out. <laughs> Yeah, I can, I can, I can totally, yeah, uh, I can totally see that. Um, in terms of uh, often with these books, there's usually an adaptation to talk about a movie or a series, and it's it's a mini series in this case that came out in 2011 with Pierce Brosnan as Mike Noonan, directed by Mick Garris. Um, are you a fan? No, not a fan. I was very disappointed. When I heard that they were developing it, I was very excited because it was, you know, at that point, one of my favorite, you know, top King books. Uh, and there is so much potential that I think that they, they lost in that. Uh, I watched it once and was very disappointed. And, you know, I've, I, I've had other opportunities to rewatch it, but I was just so disappointed with it. I, I don't know. Just not, not good. I think what perplexed me with it was that it came out in 2011 and you watch it, it's like, it feels like something from the early 90s, from when Mick Garris was doing the big hitting miniseries. I don't know, it just feels so weirdly dated and out of place. It's, yeah, it's a it's a strange treatment of it, for sure. And Yeah. yeah it was, Pierce the acting was Mike. bad. No, he yeah. no, he wasn't he wasn't cast very well for that part. Um but yeah, the acting was bad, you know, the special effects or whatnot, it just felt very campy and poorly done. Uh, yeah. it could have been a lot better. There's a lot more material in the book that they could have used. Um I mean I think that's uh, a frequent complaint from King readers to King viewers is that there's so much that gets left out. Um but yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so lastly then on, on bag of bones, if somebody watching or listening to this has not gone in a bag on bag of bones, for whatever reason, I'm curious, what three words would you use to, to sell it to them, to convince them to give it a go? Another good question. Um, creepy. Yeah. Haunting. Mm-hmm. No, can't, 
can't miss it on that bit being a ghost story uh and probably redemptive you know there's some redemption that goes on in that in that book so yeah i like that that's a good trio cool great well michael this has been this has been brilliant to chat through all of your stuff and and king stuff as well um we are almost done but before we finish with this interview we've got to go through the quick fire 19 question king challenge now this is not this is not one of those points in a podcast interview where it's like hey if you're up for it we're going to do this basically we're doing this this is this is what we have okay. to do before we finish so i'm basically just flagging it to just check you're ready okay yep let's let's do it cool okay so this is the quick fire challenge you don't need to give me any explanations at all here i might ask but you don't have to give them um the idea is it's relatively quick fire um sure. so let's let's jump into it what was the first king book you read uh tommy knockers you mentioned earlier um and what was the most recent king book you read uh currently reading fairy tale which you also mentioned earlier as well okay um what's your all-time favorite king the stand mm-hmm. and what about your all-time least favorite king Dreamcatcher. oh even one of the main stories mm, nice okay yeah. um what do you think is king's most underrated book uh, one of them for sure is the Eye of the Dragon. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm, okay. Um, thinking about cover art for for the different King books, what King book has your favorite cover art? Uh, gotta be Pet Cemetery, iconic. The the one from the original from the eighties. Correct. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely up there as one of my favorites. Um, on the flip side, what about your least favorite? Um, probably the Talisman. I don't even know what's going on with that one. Just boring. Fair enough. Um, what would be the one King book that you could recommend to anyone who likes reading? Um, the Stand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotta go with that one. Um, we've we've just been touching on King adaptations, and I wonder whether the, what we were talking about might come up on the next question. But in terms of your favorite King adaptations, is there one that stands out for you? Uh, the Green Mile. Yeah, good choice. Um, and what about your least favorite King adaptation? Bag of Bones. Well, there we go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, for this next question, I'm going to offer you the chance to have a King character make a cameo in your own writing. Who are you having? Stu Redman from The Stand. Oh, nice. He's Texas. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um. Which King book or story would you say is most similar to your own style of writing? Oh gosh. Uh, I don't think it, I can think of anything I would compare to, but I would aspire to achieve the brilliance that is the stand. Just a, a genius writing. Fair enough. Yep. Good one to aspire to, definitely. Um, okay, so for this question, I want you to give me one King book for each of the following. So I want one that you would keep forever. So... You read, you reread until it falls apart and you love and cherish for the rest of your life. One that you read only once. So you read it and then you pop it on the shelf. You might look at the cover occasionally, but you never pick it up and read it again. And then one that you delete from existence. Well, uh, at the risk of repeating myself, I would keep the stand. Mm -hmm. Fantastic book. Uh, Read once, I would say is Tommy Knocker's. And just give it give it a chance. It's weird, wild, fun. Um, and delete forever from a Buick Eight. I okay. think I don't really know what's going on in that book. Just kind of felt like, okay, I read it. What's next? Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Cool. Um, we're down to the final five questions now, and it's a slight change of format as we as we wrap this up. So this is a straight either or. So again, no explanation needed. Um, just let me know which one you pick. So. Are you going for the book or the movie? Always the book. Mm-hmm. I think I know the answer to the next one, but The Stand or It? The Stand. I mean, I could have said The Stand or anything, and you probably would have said right, The Stand. Right, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so this one. Would you rather uh, have a holiday in Derry, or would you prefer a night at the Overlook? Uh, sign me up for a weekend in Derry. That's my wow. speed, yeah. Cool. Okay. Good luck. Um, are you short story or full novel? Uh, novel. 
Okay. And last of all, would you rather go for walkies with Cujo or have a weekend away with Annie Wilkes? Well, that's an easy one. Uh, having had my own experience with uh, being attacked by a dog, I'll take my chances with Annie. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> I can I can see why you're picking for Annie in that case. Okay, yeah. great. Well, Michael, we, we are done. That's the 19 question challenge done. That's the interview done. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Um, before we finish, though, I want to just basically hand the floor back over to you. So it'd be great if you could let people know where they can find you but also what what's coming up for you what what can we expect from you for the rest of 2023 and beyond yeah well thanks for having me first off um it's always a, a lot of fun to be able to do this sort of thing um i am on social media where i show the world how socially awkward i am you can find me on instagram uh, at michael r goodwin uh twitter i believe it's mr goodwin books um i am on facebook but I don't really do a whole lot there. As far as notable works, uh, you mentioned Smolder. Um, that's probably what I am best known for. Uh, it's a novella. Um, other than that, How Good It Feels to Burn, um, a short story collection, a variety of short story singles, as you mentioned, uh, The Ritual probably being one of the more popular ones. But I have a lot of different things out there. Um, I'm in a couple of different anthologies as well. Uh, if you go to my Goodreads page, um, you'll find everything that I'm connected to is probably a good resource there. Nice. As far as what's coming up for me this year, I have a prequel sequel, I guess, to Smolder called Scribe. That's nice. coming out this fall. Uh, excited about that. I'm working on a, on a novel right now. It's pushing 110,000 words. I hope to finish writing it this year. Uh, I've got a couple of other shorter works in progress for this fall, um, early winter. Um, you know, just keeping busy, keeping writing, and I'm, you know, I've got a lot that I'm excited to share with everyone. So, awesome, awesome. Well, I mean, Michael, you're you're writing. You you've become one of those authors who uh, an instant buy for me, and straight on the oh, thank you. straight to the top of the TBR list. So, I'm very excited about going back into the world of Smolder, and the novel sounds terrific as well. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to to continue and see what you put out there. Um, and again, thank you for your time. Thanks for joining the podcast and uh, take care and hopefully speak to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. There we go. Told you it was another great episode. Thank you so much to Michael for his time, his enthusiasm, his energy, his insights, everything. Do make sure you go and check out his work. The links to find Michael are in the description to this episode. And like I said before, how good it feels to burn? Highly recommended from me if you put any stock in my recommendations at all. And if you liked this episode, check out the other ones. And of course, tell your friends about it as well. Spread the word about this show. And if you're able to follow, subscribe, rate, review, any of those kind of things that will help just boost the numbers a bit, then hmm, would really appreciate that. Another thing I'd appreciate is signing up to my newsletter or maybe picking up my Stephen King quiz book or some of my fiction. Again, all the links are down below. So I've got good news and bad news for you now. The bad news is that there's only one more episode left in this season of Constant Writers. But the good news is, it's a really fucking good one. So uh, do stick around for that. Make sure you keep an eye on your feed, because I will be back here with another Constant Writer very, very soon.